Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. He's off to the side. He's drawn, He's like floating to the media. <laughs> Did you guys know about this point guard? Did you guys know that we don't need to invest in wide receivers? He's off to the side, not at the podium, because he wants to let you know what he found out so badly. It's Wes. Yeah, and I mean, just in retrospect now, with the way that this team is looking, the offense is looking, it definitely has not aged well. And Walker. What's up, Fiddy? I was not prepared for the... (laughs) He's a a point guard. (laughs) We don't have to spend money. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. But now you do. (laughs) Now you do. This is the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ on a Wednesday. Keep the text coming on the FanDuel text line 704-570-9610. Hit that follow button on those socials on the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram at Westbryan underscore 72 at Walker Mail at HTB underscore Josh. And most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter or X or Instagram and uh, I just added a uh, Snapchat yesterday. Not Snapchat. I'm sorry. TikTok. I know I'm like super duper late, but I'm like, I have so many social medias. How could I ever have time? But our social media coordinator at uh, ACC convinced me to get a uh, TikTok. So okay. I have that now as well. Under you sound super excited about handle. it. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I want to experiment with it and see because she was saying, you know, it's one of the uh, you can rack up followers on there pretty quick and stuff like that, man. So I'm like, you know, I'll give it a go. We're going to have Fiddy do got. dances for us. Yeah. Like some of the other TikTok famous yep. couples out there. We should do one together just because. and just. just I was just knocking this dude. I don't know. I didn't even realize that this was a game <laughs> show, but apparently Pictionary is a game show now. I didn't know that. But the host, I forget his name, but just doing the kid and play all wrong, man. It was terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about because he's been on a ton of stuff, man. Hey, um, Jerry O'Connell? Jerry something. I think that's what his name is, yes. I don't know what. I haven't seen that dude in forever. Yep, but now Jerry O'Connell. You got it right. But now he's hosting Pictionary, and he's doing the kid and play terribly and kept at it, by the way. Like, he was determined. I'll give him that. But he kept doing it wrong. I think he figured out the last half of it, but it was hard to watch. All right, uh, going back to the text line, I know we just had the mock draft melee. Fans are getting behind that one. Brian says Bowers can hit that Kyle Pitts hype and get drafted top five, uh, in my opinion. And Reverend Herbaceous says Lad McConkie learning from Adam Thielen might be interesting. So those are a couple of uh, interesting names there. We talked about Brock Bowers as well. Panthers obviously won't be able to get him, but Lad McConkie is a guy that's starting to be linked to them a lot. I'm laughing at this text. Bagel guy writes in, it sounds like Wes was told to get a TikTok. Well, I wasn't told. <laughs> we, we just discussed it back and forth, and she told me some of the benefits and, and some of the things of it, and we, we talked a little bit of uh, semantics, if you will. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'll give it a try. 
but no no telling, no forcing me to get a TikTok. But it okay. is a lot, man. All right. So okay. uh now, without further ado, let's get to the campus corner. All right, we talked about it to start the show off. My Demon Deacons were unlucky at Notre Dame in the second half. They were eight for thirty, two of ten from three point land. Three assists, five turnovers in the second half. Notre Dame didn't fare much better. They only shot 30% for the game and 14% from three, but it would be enough. Marcus Burton, as I said, one of the best freshmen that you have yet to hear of was big time in this game. He was the fourth Irish freshman to record a 30-plus point performance joining Adrian Dantley, Troy Murphy, and Chris Thomas, and he's had 59 points over the last two games. So uh, they limited, as I said, Wake Forest just could not hit the broadside of a barn in the second half. They're now 8-9 all-time against Notre Dame, 2-6 and six in South Bend. We talked about it, but Hunter Salas, who came into the game fifth in the ACC in scoring, limited to seven points on two of 11 shooting. It marked a season low for him and the first time he was held to single-digit points since last year's Elite Eight round versus UConn when he was playing for the Zags. But now when we look at this game, let's do a little bit more of a deep dive. Even if Wake is to make the tournament and we can talk about the ACC tournament as well, a loss like this, what does this do to our confidence level 1 through 10? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it puts mine at a 5. I mean, I'm just sitting there like 50-50 shot uh, when we get into some of the bigger moments of the season when they get into the ACC tournament if they are lucky enough to secure the double bye. I think that will give me a little bit more confidence if they're able to do that, close out and win these last three games. Uh, I know Fiddy's talked about during this season how much teams have struggled on the road uh, and for Wake, you know, that's not necessarily an excuse. Uh, they just have to play better. They just absolutely fell apart in the second half. And Notre Dame, as I said, could have beaten them worse had they hit some of their shots down the stretch. They had many opportunities to really put Wake away, but weren't able to do so. So what's your confidence level in the Demon Deacons after that game? It wanes because here I am thinking Wake Forest would be a fun team to have make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. The problem is, as we've all talked about, they're so much better at home than they are away that how can you trust them away from Winston-Salem? You just can't do it time and time again. When we talked about this game yesterday, going into last night, we both joked about if they lose, you might be feeling something similar on a pain level to what you experienced with San Francisco losing the Super Bowl because this is what Wake basketball does. If they have a huge win, then most likely they're going to counter that with a terrible loss. And we did say even if it was in South Bend and they've struggled on the road, we expect this team to take care of business you can't have a letdown after a duke win right well they did they scored 22 points in the second half here we are talking about the hornets only scoring 26 in the first half wake scoring 22 in the second that's virginia numbers except notre dame's defense is not as good as virginia in charlottesville and wake acted like it you're talking about them being unlucky that's true but Hunter Salas can't come up with a seven-point effort on 11 shots taken. That's terrible. And then even not even getting to the free throw line, right? Like with the comparison between Salas and R.J. Davis, R.J. Davis, terrible at Virginia too. What was it, one of 14, only one field goal? They at least got to the foul line and hit nine of 10 from the free throw stripe. So that didn't happen with Hunter Salas, and he's the fifth leading scorer. It's tough. Confidence level, it certainly waned compared to what it was even after and even before the Duke game. Uh, the Virginia loss, while it was tough, 
it's still at least against a good team that I expect to make the tourney. But Notre Dame's not going to make it. Pretty, what say you on this matter? Um, just typical Wake Forest under Steve Forbes. Like they, 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 they get a big win. They get you believing. And then they remind you why Wake Forest has perennial been the program that they've been because they just cannot, they just cannot come through when they need to come through. Last night was, was inexcusable. Um, there's no reason for you to be losing on the road at, you know, a team that's going to finish in the bottom third of the ACC. But that's been Wake Forest this year. It's been Wake Forest the last three years. And if they miss the tournament again. You'll look back at last night and say that's where they missed their chance to put on their dancing shoes. Yeah, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. This is not the way that you wanted to answer after that Duke matchup. But coming down the stretch, they go to Virginia Tech this weekend. Georgia Tech, they will take on on Tuesday. And then they close out the season on March 9th, taking on Clemson. Are any of these games a big worry, or should Wake Forest fans be worried about all three of these games as they Every finish up the season? Every game is a worry. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. single one. This is what they do. I, I can't. This is NC State, right? When NC State went on a stretch. And then NC State, it was, can we start to buy into them? Kevin Keats realizing the pressure. Can you keep it off of them with this nah. winning streak? Right. <laughs> I let this, the weird-sounding soundbite speak for me. No. Yeah, they should worry about every single game. One of them's on the road against Virginia Tech. Even at home against Georgia Tech and Clemson, yes, they've been great at home, and so maybe you can believe in them there. But Wake Forest just can't capitalize on some of their big-time wins that they have. And so, yeah, they got to take care of business. And then against Clemson, that's going to be a big-time game is for that double bye in the ACC tournament. So Clemson's a good enough basketball team to where maybe they get upset at home against Clemson, assuming the Demon Deacons will be the favorite. Yeah, when that game was over with, I was very angry. I was quite annoyed uh, at the game. But then once I saw because the main thing I was worried about was uh, the NCAA tournament status. I'm like, man, I hope this did knock us out. But it seems like that that's doing okay. But that's still, like you said, they have to continue to play well and they need to get wins down the stretch. They can't afford any more letdowns, especially uh, of this caliber. And I know that Notre Dame was a hot basketball team coming in in this game. And like I said, Marcus Burton is hell on wheels and people need to get to know this young man, but still inexcusable for the Demon Deacon. So tonight's action got a little bit more ACC basketball and a couple more games uh, of importance as we head down the stretch into the ACC tournament. Louisville will travel to Duke to take on the Blue Devils. This looks like a game that should be a great get-right game for the Blue Devils after losing to Wake Forest amid all of the controversy. But Duke star Kyle Filipowski who was out there as if he had been shot in war. Uh, he is expected to play Wednesday night versus Louisville, just four days removed from suffering a sprained knee during the court storming collision. Fiddy, I heard the groan back there. What do you feel about this? I mean, so you're telling me that Kyle Filipowski, who after initiated contact with the fan and then wanted to play victim in the postgame and it was definitely intentional, and I don't know how seriously hurt I am. Is going to be able to play 96 hours later? It's almost like <laughs> every single person that talked out of their ass on Saturday and Sunday when talking <laughs> about the matter was overreacting because he wasn't seriously injured. He wasn't seriously injured. And, and now, but because it's Duke and this is just a part of the facade of that program, no one's going to clown them for it. But, you know, what do, what do you expect? <laughs> they one time and definitely suspended a player one game for tripping. So I, I have no ill will for Kyle Filipowski, and 
you know? The fact he's going to play tonight just shows you, you that it was a massive overreaction. Yeah, I overreaction. think you've got plenty of you, ill will. You have a lot of well, ill will. You know will. what I meant. You wish ill will. <laughs> you mean the exact opposite of what you Walker, were saying. Walker, what do you uh, think about this matchup tonight with Filipowski coming back? Are you uh, feeling like he might have been uh, selling it pretty good after the Wake Court storming incident? No, man. I think oh he was really hurt. <laughs> well, you know he's going to take up for his little brother. You know yeah, what I'm saying? They go. look alike. So you oh, know he's going to take up for his little brother. Yeah. I have ill will towards you. That's who I have ill will towards. <laughs> no, yeah. The fact that he's coming back, um, it's not a great look for Kyle Filipowski, for sure. Yeah, you would have thought he would at least miss one game with the way that he, you know. Look, I do think that the larger point still needs to be discussed on court storming. The fact that, yeah, Kyle Filipowski, while he might not have been seriously injured, certainly could happen with that stampede coming towards him. We have seen Caitlin Clark go down where it's not like Caitlin Clark was trying to initiate contact. So I do think there needs to be some amendments on how we court storm, which I don't know how much you guys were disagreeing with that as much. Of course, when we go too far with Jay Billis saying people need to be arrested and oh, that's God. how you stop it, yeah. that's something entirely different. But also, the idea of protecting the players is something I absolutely subscribe to. Like, that's something I think we can get on board with, especially with Mark Mitchell having the middle fingers thrown up at him where fans can just go to the court and act unruly mm. in front of him. Fitty. Nobody should be allowed to do that when you're about to exit the court. That's not okay. All right. I'm not saying they should get arrested, but I'm not going to have anybody talking reckless to me, too, as I go to the sideline and then go to the locker room when they're right in my face. And then I'm supposed to be the one that is controlled because if I do anything about it, then I am going to be the one that is suspended or reprimanded while the fans get to do whatever they want. That's not okay. Mm. So we just need to get rid of NC State's entire fan base then because that's what they do for two hours they of basketball They go on the court games. and do it in front of the face. I'm saying it's bad enough that you do it from the stand. For sure. I'm with you. I don't think that you should be able to just say whatever you want to because you buy the tickets and it allows me to act like an animal. But you can't do it right in front of my face, point blank range, because you stormed the court in a way that you're not allowed to be on the court. Ah, that's okay that's to right. say that. I mean, you know, okay it is wrong. And, I, and, you know, if my, paper take. if my fans do it for in, in front of somebody else, I'm not going to complain that much about it. But, no, you, you don't deserve to run up in somebody's face. Uh, and be able to do stuff because, in my opinion, if you do, and then I think if the player lays hands on you, then they shouldn't get in trouble, even though we know that that is not going to be the case. But uh, Jack has a great text on the FanDuel text line saying, Wes, is he going to get a standing ovation after the national anthem as well? LOL, I see a purple heart in his future. <laughs> so a lot of people are <laughs> seeing <laughs> what's going on, and they have their own jokes about this thing. Also tonight, we've got Virginia traveling to take on Boston College which could be a more interesting matchup than people think. But Virginia's defense, I think, will carry them through that one. And Old Dominion uh, will take on Appalachian State uh, as well tonight. So there's your college basketball action. And when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, are the Panthers a two- to three-year plan? Dan Morgan said he normally likes to think about teams in terms of two- to three-year plans. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Welcome back inside, folks. You are immersed in the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Going right to the FanDuel text line. Big Cat Dan, I know I teased before the break talking about Dan Morgan, and we're about to get into that thing at the Panthers and the way he approaches teams. He thinks it's a two- to three-year plan. Big Cat Dan says two to three years is a serious upgrade from the Matt Rule, Jay-Z, seven-year plan. That's a nice uh, text right there. Big Cat Dan's on to something. I hope we don't have another Jay-Z type of plan from Dave Canales, who seems to understand that right away. The two to three year plan, though, like that seems reasonable. I do wonder just how patient fans are going to be because we've not been with good football for a while. So I think if you approach this from a logical standpoint, you would say, yeah, two to three years for a new head coach, a team that has a lot of upgrading to do. That makes some sense. The problem is you just need to see some progress here. And so if you don't see much progress, like I don't want to say that it can't get any worse because oftentimes it does. When you say that, I don't want to put that negative energy out there because the football gods are going to laugh at me. Oh, watch this worse. I don't want that to happen, but it does feel like it should be pretty easy to progress from what happened last year. Yeah. I wonder what's the minimal amount of progression that we'd be happy with. And maybe we don't put, wins on that maybe it just has to pass the eye test to us with maybe maybe they win four or five games but they look so much better and they're a tough out in a lot of the other losses maybe they lose a lot of one possession games whatever that may be but it's okay to have a two to three year plan Wes we just have to see significant progression next year well especially with the detail in which he's already speaking uh about what he's got the plans for Bryce and how he plans to do everything and if we come out and it's more the same uh that's not going to be good at all but Dan Morgan uh when he was talking about it he said quote and I think our whole scouting staff not just myself have a really good feel of what we want and we're going to be able to go out and attack that I always think it's a two to three year plan we're always looking ahead always trying to you know look at future free agent classes draft classes just to kind of see maybe where we're weak and where we can add in this year and supplement this year just to plan for the future that was interesting too now not that I thought that it was so far outside of the realm of possibility but I didn't know that teams kind of project free agent classes years uh into the future and things of that nature and I thought that that sounded pretty good as well uh but I think that you know two to three years to me sounds very plausible and I know a lot of fans get caught up in the record and how bad things looked. Um, but we see all the time in this league teams that suffer from several one-loss uh, games, one-possession losses, will flip it around the next year and have a great season. The Minnesota Vikings, the name of team that definitely uh, was on that path where they had several uh, tight games and then they turned it around and had a great record. And for the Panthers, even as horrible as it looked that uh, last season, I don't think that they're – that far away from really turning this thing around because we see it all the time. In it's the not NFL. even necessarily with the Panthers. It's just how the NFL was built. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If you go out and make some upgrades, there's some key spots because the thing is, it's glaring where you need to be able to change things up. It's not like we watch the games and people just don't have a clue as to why this team is so bad. We see everything. It's just going to come down to Dan Morgan uh, and this crew to be able to go out and make the requisite fixes uh, for this team and upgrades. And it's not going to happen all in this offseason. That's why I could see, I think that this fan base certainly needs to be patient this year unless it's just abysmal. But I think you're at the point now with Canales, you got to give him at least two seasons 
to see what this thing is going to look like before you start to make a decision. But what do you think, Walker? Two, three-year plan? You think it's shorter? You think it's longer? What do you think? I think it's fine. I think it's fine to project that. Here's the thing about last year. They got worse than what they were under Matt Rule. That happened. And nobody is sitting here telling you that Matt Rule should be the head coach of this team. Not one Panther fan. 704-980. Let's go. (laughs) They're not telling you Matt Rule should be the head coach of this squad. But they looked worse. And we thought they were going to upgrade based off of what happened that offseason. And we thought you were going to upgrade at quarterback. And maybe we were getting a little too far out in front of ourselves with that. I thought Bryce Young was going to be better than Sam Darnold. I thought he was going to be much better than Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield was still terrible with Carolina. But you won some games with Sam. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't doing anything with a wow factor, but at least he got the job done. At least he was winning games with this team based off of a really strong rushing attack. And we saw what P.J. Walker was able to do. I put him in the Hall of Fame after the Tampa Bay game. And so the fact that that happened, yeah, it's not like he consistently gave us those Hall of Fame performances. And so we all thought Bryce Young was going to provide more consistency, and it didn't. And we desperately wanted him to come in right away and win some games or at least look the part. And he didn't do that. A lot of that is because of the coaching staff. A lot of that is because of the lack of weapons that you had, terrible protection up front, and some bad luck. That was a part of the equation with Carolina. But they got worse from Matt Rule to the new hire. I'm sorry. I don't want to put that negative energy out, like I said. I just can't imagine a realistic scenario where it gets worse from last year to this year, like it did from Matt Rule to Frank Reich. Um, yeah, I mean, it could it could get worse, but I think a two to three year barring plan, injury, of course, yeah, with yeah, any yeah, conversation right, right, right. we have. I think uh, you know, a two to three year plan, I think sounds about right. Uh I think that it can be done in that time. And I think if it's not done in that time, you just don't have uh the right people in place. And then obviously if that's the case, Bryce Young uh was never the guy if you're not able to get it done in two to three seasons. So uh, also a key part of why this plan could work inside of that two to three years is the return of Jiro Evero and what he was able to do with this defense last year, had him the number three total defense in the league. They were not perfect by any stretch, but still impressive nonetheless. Let's hear from Dave Canales on why it was so huge to get Jiro Evero back. Into it the was fold. huge. It was huge. I mean, that was the whole part of my master plan. I'm like, hey, Mr. Tepper and Mrs. Tepper, you know, like, I'll fix the offense. You know, you kind of have what's in place here in Ajero. I really have high respect for him. And, um, you know, it was a real selling point of mine is, like, if we can just get this done, you know, to have these two guys, this is a dream team of sorts, you know, really to oh, no. to put these two young guys who are <laughs> committed to, to their players, committed to these schemes. Um, so I'm excited to, you know, can, to go against them every day in practice, you know, and to see the evolution of the offense and defense as we face each other and kind of learn the ins and outs of what we're doing. So I can't say enough about how big that, that has been. All right. Dream team, don't say it. It's taboo. <laughs> it didn't work for the, what was it, 08 Eagles? It didn't work for this coaching staff with Carolina last year? Yeah. Look, I'd please be as happy as you possibly can. I just, please don't say dream team because it brings up bad luck constantly, and I don't want to hear it anymore. Has he already dug a hole for himself by saying that? I'm going to say, man, that's not necessarily what <laughs> Carolina Panther fans want to hear, especially after the quote-unquote dream team coaching staff that they allegedly had last year where guys were snitching on each other faster than mob bosses uh, when they get pinched by the feds. And so that was the issue for that last year. But I think the thing that you can take a little bit more confidence in is the fact that this is 
you know, Canales' staff as far as the continuity. He's talked about everybody speaking the same language, being on the same page, and I think that's the main thing. There's not a ton of big names who used to be a head coach here and did this there and did this and did that. These are all guys that pretty much, for the most part, unless you're a real football junkie, you don't know much about these guys. Brad Idzik is a guy that's stepping in uh, to a new role for himself as the offensive coordinator uh, here as well. And so this isn't a staff full of big names and big egos. I think this is going to be a hungry offensive staff full of guys looking to make a name for themselves and continue to show consistency. And I think that's the big thing about it. I think the dream team uh, framing of this by him definitely is not something, though, that Carolina Panther fans want to hear uh, coming from him, especially with the previous regime and all that happened there. Jack says they should call themselves the redeem team. Hopefully, oh, they can redeem that themselves. That would be good. That's the 2008 version of the dream team. That really wasn't all that much of a dream. But with Carolina, <laughs> as long as he doesn't do it consistently, right? I, I get his point, though. And even if we're worried about that, one thing you can look at is the fact that Averro survived all of the problems last year. All of the problems from the coaching staff, how many of them were a part of the defensive coaching staff? I think zero. Yeah. I don't think that's far-fetched. Everything we heard was the offensive line coach going to David Tepper, possibly, even if that might not be true. I know some people have debunked that. Chris Tabor not necessarily agreeing with what Frank Reich was doing. Josh McCown, Deuce Staley, they get let go after the first half of the season when they decide to move on from Frank Reich. So every problem that we had, a part of the coaching staff, it was on the offensive side. It really wasn't a part of the defensive side. So if you survive all of that dysfunction last year, now you have what looks like a lot more continuity. It should be easier. And it's not a dream team. We don't have to say that. But it's just a normal coaching staff. Man, I didn't realize how badly I want normal. And that's what Carolina gave us this offseason. They went with the hot assistant. Literally, I guess, depending on how you look at it and figuratively. But they went with the hot assistant. The guy was doing a great job with a quarterback. This is We talk about guys being promoted in a normal way with what other teams decide to do with their head coaching position. And so Carolina just did the normal thing. They went out and got a young assistant coach, promoted him to a head coach who had previous success with different QBs, had reclamation projects. What did that guy do once he was hired? He hired a bunch of guys that he was familiar with, both in his Seattle days and his Tampa Bay days. He comes here. He hires a veteran defensive coordinator that had success. He brings Ajero Averro back to the fold. This is what normal, successful franchises look like when they make a big change. And it doesn't work all the time, but you have seen it work consistently. And I'm glad we have something normal here compared to what we had the last couple of seasons when you bring back a retread that didn't work, you bring this all-star coaching staff that didn't work, and you bring in a college coaching staff that didn't work. You did the normal thing, and I'm happy we have something normal here in Carolina. All right, so another key to the Panthers being able to uh, take a leap next season is Jonathan Mingo. I mean, this could be a guy that could really put the Panthers ahead of schedule if he has a big season next year or just becomes a guy that's going to be a quality part of the production of this offense. So let's hear from Dan Morgan and his thoughts about Jonathan Mingo and his rookie performance. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit, you know, unfair, you know, him being a rookie, you know, it's hard for rookie wideouts to come in this league and just, you know, have instant success and just dominate from the get-go. Um, again, a young player that's still developing, 
um, has all the all the tools you need to be a really good receiver in this league. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future with him. All right. So, you know, Jonathan Mingo, we know that, as he said, wide receiver is a position. We have seen some guys come in and have success from the jump. But Mingo, not so much. This was a guy that came in and he showed you a little bit, but not much at all to really get you excited to say, hey, this guy could be a future number one. But there's also grace to be given here. And I think that this is a guy that can continue to develop uh, chemistry with Bryce Young. And I think if you're able to get the production out of him uh, that you desire, man, I think that that could be one of the biggest factors of this Panthers offense taking a bit of a leap, uh, could even take a a, a big leap uh, next season if this guy starts to turn into uh, somewhat of the player that the Panthers think that he could be. We played the soundbite earlier in the show, but Dave Canales talked about getting your number one and number two options open more consistently. Has to mean Jonathan Mingo, they want him to get open as much as they can. Part of that's on the wide receiver. Part of that's up to the scheme. And I think that's where what Canales is coming in to do. Of course, you want to see the improvement of Bryce Young, but Mingo matters a lot as well. And just as much as we see Dave Canales and his improvement with some of the quarterbacks, whether he's the OC with Baker Mayfield or whether he's just in the system with Geno Smith, man, this guy got into the league because he was a wide receiver coach. And when we look to Seattle, that might be the best example in the NFL over the last 15 years of having a strong passing game without these superstar-esque wide receivers. DK Metcalf probably broke that trend, but it took a while before you had that DK Metcalf type of guy. Doug Baldwin, what did we hear about him? Always one of the more underrated wide receivers in the NFL, but never thought of as a star. Same thing with Tyler Lockett. I go to Paul Richardson quite a bit when talking about this because he was successful with Seattle, then he got the contract with Washington and didn't really do anything. So the fact that you had that success with wide receivers and then Dave Canales allows Mike Evans, who was already a Hall of Fame wide receiver before Canales was the OC, Mike Evans, amidst a Hall of Fame career, has one of his best seasons that he's ever had in the NFL with Baker Mayfield as his QB. Remember, Baker Mayfield was the guy that killed you as a number one option. Ask Odell Beckham Jr., ask DJ Moore. I thought Chris Godwin was like a first-round fantasy football pick because Baker Mayfield was just going to go to the second receiver more than he was going to go to the first. But Dave Canales and Baker, to his credit, broke that trend. So the fact that you have a wide receiver mind here as well, that also gives me some sort of faith, as much as you can have, and Jonathan Mingo also improving. Yeah, and so when you look at the production of receivers from 2000 to 2020, so I brought up before uh, on this show the wide receiver one season where you're putting up the type of production to be considered a top-notch guy. And so when you look at the age of Jonathan Mingo – at 22, and then he'll be coming into the season and be 23 uh, by the time either the season ends or midway through whenever. But you also can look at wide receiver two seasons uh, by age. And so I think that for Mingo, if you could get wide receiver two type of production out of him next year, I think that that would be pretty good. And it starts to rise. You've had 15 wide receivers from 2000 to 2020 that's had a wide receiver two type production. And then it gets up even more uh, as they turn the age of 24. But uh, when you look at wide receiver one seasons in that same time frame, you do have a good many of them at 23. You have uh, over 20 of those guys that have put up wide receiver one caliber seasons. So uh, it's out there for Jonathan Mingo to be able to come out and produce. 
uh, and to be able to do his thing. But we shall see uh, if he can do just that. But I think he's going to be a big part of this Panthers offense and could lessen the blow if they're not able to go out and find one of those top-notch receivers a la Michael Pittman or Mike Evans or any of those guys. Uh, so we talked about it earlier and we we touched upon it, but let's get into it just a little bit more, talking about uh, more about Frankie Louvu and if he will stay uh, in the fold with the Carolina Panthers. And so, you know, I said that I think the reason for him staying would be because he really believes in this process. A lot of the defensive players we've seen from Brian Burns to Derek Brown, how giddy these guys have been about Ejero Evero returning and talking about running it back. Now, that could also be a key factor in helping Luvu to return is the recruitment of his own teammates. We'll see if Brian Burns ends up getting the deal that he wants because then he can become a part of this process along with Derek Brown uh, and some others. And the reason I said that he would that he could potentially leave is just because of the teams that he's played for. And I just feel like Frankie has played on franchises that haven't been as successful since he's been in the league. He's played with the Jets and he's played with the Carolina Panthers. Could he be enticed for one? He's going to get a nice contract offer pretty much no matter where he goes because of the production that he's put up coming off of back-to-back 100 tackle seasons. He's got 12 and a half sacks in the last two seasons and almost 30 quarterback hits. And so, excuse me, almost 30 tackles for loss, I should say. And so, you know, does the intrigue of going to a Dallas or uh, going to a Pittsburgh or going somewhere to where his services are needed, he's going to be paid well, and you can win, would that be enough to be able to pry him away from Carolina? Because that's going to be something that I think he'll factor in heavily. But what are the cases for you as to for and against Luvu returning for the Panthers? I think your theory makes sense. For someone a little more so like Mike Evans, who has made a lot of money already in his career mm-hmm. and can have that kind of choice on where he wants to go as far as a contender. Frankie Luvo has not made that much money in his NFL career to this point. Sure. And so I think right now what speaks most to him might be loyalty. I don't know. Haven't heard Frankie Luvo talk about that specifically. And I'm sure he wants to win. Any competitor in the NFL wants to win. I also know that it's a short life for a lot of different NFL players. And Frankie also had to battle from being on the bottom of the depth chart for a couple of different teams in order to get here, it's it's time to cash in. And whoever pays him the most money, it might be a different team. And maybe that's why he leaves. I think that could be a case. But if Carolina ends up with something similar to the top offered contract in the NFL, I think he would go to Carolina or whatever that top contract is compared to a contender who has a legitimate shot to compete in the NFL playoffs if it means going a couple million less per year than what those other two teams did. I don't think he would agree to that. I think he wants his money right now, and why wouldn't you, especially with the way that this guy has battled? And I think Carolina, if you have any kind of loyalty to a team that did give you a shot, which I'm not saying he should, but if that was the case, that's why I would give Carolina the inside track. All right, Jack says on the FanDuel text line, if Dallas gets Luvu and Michael Parsons, Michael Parsons, San Francisco needs to watch out West. Trent Williams can't block uh, both of them. Big Cat Dan also chiming in on the topic. He says uh, money talks. So he's uh, right there with right. you, Walker. So the Panthers are definitely going to have to pony up a competitive offer, and I feel confident that they'll do so. But coming up next on the Wesson Walker Show, Willie P joins us to talk a little Charlotte FC, and I'm sure we'll get into some shenanigans like we always do on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is... I'm Will Pelagic. Wesson Walker back on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, reminding you that the start of the 2024 doghouse season is upon us. We're looking for food truck vendors, too. The best tailgate in Uptown. You can be a part of the match or game day experience by calling 704-548-7843, 704-548-7843. And a man heavily involved in match day is the voice of Charlotte FC. Mr. Willie P is in the Planet Kia studios. Willie, how are you doing? I thought you were going to say a man that's uh, heavily involved in food, too. Seriously? Food and match day. Yes, both. It's a great combination. All cuisines uh, accepted, by the way. All, all, cuis- all cuisines accepted. All right. Willie P. Not all that bougie. Not all that bougie. Sometimes mm-hmm. he is and sometimes he isn't. Hmm. I saw that you made more brisket and you took it I to social media. I didn't make this brisket. Okay. Uh, this was brisket that was sent to me by our own very uh, our very own Travis T-Bone Hancock from mm-hmm. Joe's in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about Kansas City's brisket is they slice it thin on like a deli slicer. So it kind of looks like lunch meat. It looked weirder. It looks like lunch meat. But I didn't want to say anything because you caught enough hell about your brisket. Well, what they do is they slice it thin and then they smother it in sauce. And it tastes amazing. Their sauce, by the way, out uh, at Joe's in Kansas City, the best sauce I've ever had in my entire life. It's one of my favorite places. And so Bone knew that. So he sent them. He goes on with the station in Kansas City once every week during the football season. And he gets a package from them at the end of every every football season. It's a conjunction with Christmas. So he sent some to me uh, and my wife. Uh, for a, a delayed uh, wedding gift. It's only about a year and a half late. I'm glad that you didn't ah. make it just because I, I just don't want you to get hurt anymore. No. Because I do care about you. I'm not retired from brisket making, but brisket making, there's very, very little reward that happens. Right. Well, And you ended on a good note. You brought your brisket in. We got a great promo out of it. The rejoins are fantastic because of it. Pork and ribs and chicken are so much easier to deal with than the time-consuming nature and the lack of reward you get from folks on the other side with the brisket. All right. Mm. So we did get a reward, though. So you celebrated by Mm -hmm. making this favorite brisket that you have because of a Charlotte FC went 1-0 as the soccer fans like to say, as mm-hmm. Willie P reported with a great read on the goal call, by the way. That Excellent is, job. That's a brand new sponsor of ours on the network, by the way. Daimler Trucks is doing a thing where they give $100 to charity. And then if the goal ends up being scored off of the same set of play, it is a thousand dollars in charity. That's only for home games. So uh, it was intri- it was intriguing, I have to say. And uh, we, we got the readout, thankfully. Main takeaways from that game in the Charlotte FC win. The main takeaway is that it looked organized and it looked like they had a plan, which to me, Walker, is something that you looked at last year and maybe wondered that it wasn't always the case. Uh, Dean Smith has brought pragmatism, but I think he's also brought a structure. I think they want to do things through all three channels of the field, not just the left and the right. They want to go through the middle as well. Uh, Ashley Westwood and Junior Ursa were both incredibly uh just hectic through the middle in a good way against the defense. And they really kept New York at bay, even though New York held about 
three quarters of, or at least two thirds of the possession of the game. It was a scenario that developed across the game where most of the possession they had was in the neutral third and in their own half. They could not get dangerous possession against Charlotte FC. And that's something that really is a tone setter for the season. Willie P joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Willie, what coming into the game did you not expect that surprised you during this matchup? The, mid, the midfield, honestly, that's the thing that come back, comes out and, and stands out to me. I also was curious to see how the fullbacks played because we saw them in the preseason gain a lot of width. And I wondered if in the contest we would see maybe some of those familiarities that we saw with the previous game model come up where guys start veering into the middle. But both Oranen and Byrne kept their width. I thought Oranen played fantastic. They did not even try the Charlotte defensive left side. Everything came down the defensive right side, their offensive left side with Santi Rodriguez. And he's not even really a typical left wing either. He's somebody who likes to play more centrally. They want to get the ball in that dude's hands in dangerous spaces. And Charlotte FC just wasn't having it. Yeah, he did get in a couple of times, and there was one that he whiffed at from about point-blank range. But for the most part, Charlotte FC kept him and the rest of the team at bay. All right, you're talking about we have a guy playing for us that's barely old enough to work at Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Talking about Nymphasha Bertimus. Well, introduce us to this young man. What what is he bringing to the table at just 16 years old? He is really, really cool. Uh, and it's a story that's very, very cool from Charlotte's perspective. He's the first guy that is... Did I that say is, his name right? Not to cut it's you Bur- Burkimus is, is, the, way, is the way you All say right. his last yeah, name. Yeah, you got yeah. it close. It's... it's He's from Tanzania originally, uh, born to parents who are from uh, neighboring Burundi, uh, came here, uh, I think, to the Georgia area when he was very, very young. They settled in High Point, and he started playing for the Charlotte FC Academy from its advent and worked his way up through. He played a little bit for Crown Legacy a year ago, really was great in the Under-17 World Cup over the summer. He scored three goals in four games. Uh, the U.S. got themselves at a final, unfortunately, did not win, but he was a big integral part of that. Again, at just 16 years old, or at 15 years old at the time, he's one of the youngest players to get an international cap. Him and Freddie Adu basically are the same guy. He becomes the ninth youngest player to debut in Major League Soccer for a team. And he's somebody who's who's the future of this club, but also the present. Dean Smith told me last week, he said, I had no qualms putting him out there on the field. He wanted to start him. But because of Patrick Ajiman getting hurt during the middle of the week, he had a bit of a knock with his hip. They wanted to at least keep his ability to run in behind on the bench. Uh, Yuri Tavares played himself pretty well as well in the game. So those are the two guys who are kind of competing for the same spot. But I wouldn't look at past Dino to uh, if he feels that he rates Nymphasha over Yuri, uh, maybe starting the 16-year-old against Vancouver on Saturday. Well, I haven't been to a million games, that's for sure. But I went to the season opener. I wanted to ask you how it went. The environment was great. I, I love being there. It was fun. We had great seats because we were actually sitting in the upper deck, but in the corner, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite seats in Bank of America so you, Stadium. So you didn't get the beer shower, I which is good. Get, which, I think well, that, I would I think, have died. I think that night is probably the best for you. <laughs> I would have died. I, look, I'm a bit of a Goldilocks when it comes to the temperature. I can deal with it, but I was told. Hot. I was told your wife handled it a lot better than you did. She did. She did, um, and I was not prepared. your wife, your girlfriend. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. I, 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 I took I took some liberties there. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> When's that happening, by the way? All right, let's move oh, on. Oh man! Really, <laughs> really? I'm trying to. I'm trying Seriously? To we can My move bad. on to the temperature. Why would you do never that to been me? more tuned in, and she was just then. I think she's. She. I'm going to get a text here in a moment. Either she's. <laughs> either either her senses are tingling right now, or she's listening and then texting me. But either way, I'm going to receive a text. But My you're bad. right. 
that night, I did not want a beer shower. Not at all, because she was much more prepared than I was. I was an idiot. I looked at the weather app and thought, oh, it's only 50 degrees. So, it's just going to get a little colder, but I didn't realize the wind was going to be as crazy as it was. You guys have seen my uh, my camel hair trench coat, right? The, the my, Like my dress coat that I wear sometimes with my suit? No, but hold on. I love that you have a camel hair trench coat. Well, it is from Joseph A. Bank. It's fine. Okay. But I was, right. I, made, it, but so. I was getting made fun of for wearing it in the press. I was like, what are you? Are you prepared for uh, going up and, and skiing or whatnot? And then by the end of the game, everybody's looking at me being like, oh, Willie looked at the weather app before the game. I see how it is. I did. I just misread it, which I'll, I'll take all the clowning I can get because I deserve it. Is that like where where do those conditions compare to some of the other ones that we've experienced before? Like with with Charlotte FC. Honestly, I thought the vibe was still pretty good. No, given- the vibe was good. The environment was great. The weather was not. No. And so, how did the weather compare to other matches they've played at least at home? I mean that that was a pretty unique scenario for what we see at Bank of America Stadium. Normally, I mean we've had actually pretty good openers. Uh, the first opener was. Uh, 72 degrees. So we actually had you know yeah. short sleeves and, sh- and shorts. You were there for that, mm-hmm. I remember. Uh, last year, it was a little cool, middle 50s, uh, but that was definitely the coolest one we've had. I-, I don't know if you're going to get many more nights like that, especially because they're on a three-match road trip. By the time we're back here at the end of March, uh, should be back in the, the 60s and 70s more comfortable. Willie, how excited are you about Dean Smith? Did you already see from him more than what you saw from the previous regime? Totally. I mean, it's it's night and day based on, again, it's one game. So I, I don't mean to make a mountain out of a molehill it's a small sample size mm. but i do feel like he has that that thing that you see whenever you see a manager who just looks like he gets it and i think it's something that is going to breed victories and it's going to breed a system i think the one thing that i also love about him is that he wasn't getting overly crazy about a goal or a win i mean you see a lot of these managers sometimes they'll go crazy for a goal they'll go crazy for a win but he's very measured and i think that's something that was pretty evident we were out there in training and they were doing kind of the same types of things that they did a week ago where they were still doing heavy running uh their video segment uh that went before uh, practice today also ran over like it did last week so it means that they're not taking their foot off the gas and and they're not uh they're striving to their principles which i think is something that you really want to see from a manager who is trying to get this team to ascend although i find it funny that espn.com uh their power rankings had charlotte fc 27th going into week one they were 11th now so apparently you seems know, like it's changed it, after it week seems one. like yeah. the worm is turned and people realize hey maybe charlotte fc kind of knows what they're doing a little bit and again i'm not trying to make you know we could come back here in a couple of weeks and it'd be a different type of story but uh after week one uh, it's almost as if you know people are sitting there saying hey you know what maybe they actually are onto something willie Pitmaster master joining us on the body works plus guest hotline i did want to ask you a charlotte hornets question you home, also home killer too apparently <laughs> there you go so yes that we can also it doesn't have alliteration so i didn't roll with it I but i'll just go with Pitmaster master it's okay Hey, we can go to one report real quickly. Mark Stein reports that Brooklyn's Jeff Peterson, New Orleans' Trajan Langdon, Minnesota's Matt Lloyd are three prime names to watch as the Hornets close in on a new lead executive to run their front office. We don't have a lot of time, but give us a 30-second answer on which one of those guys you would most like and what you want to see from a new GM. I'd like Langdon, the pedigree, obviously, you know, coming in here and having the opportunity to uh, to be with this squad. I know that we've had some of the kind of intonations you guys have talked about, the fact that it might have a due correlation, but you know, it's a scenario that I think it's very well uh, monitored over the course of the next couple of months, who that guy's going to be. I just want somebody who comes in here and gets this, this team in that same type of trajectory that we've seen over the last couple. 
Willie Planner of Weddings, Palachik, joining us on the Body Works Plus <laughs> guest hotline, nice. getting me in possible trouble. You can find him on Twitter at Willie P. Style and listen to him on Charlotte FC broadcast here on 92.7 FM, of course, Sports Radio WFNZ. Thanks, Willie. Kind of. We appreciate it. If you need, if you need a jeweler, <laughs> I got your hookup. <laughs> I so don't. this is awkward. Not yet. Although now I can't be that strong because I need to get to the commercial break. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.